Turn with me to chapter 14 in John's Gospel. And let's begin in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. The it by the way, is the cross. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, and let us go from here. In the fellowship of the ring, both the book and the movie... Sam is heard to say this as he listens to his friend Frodo. Frodo says, it's going to be very dangerous, Sam. It already is dangerous. Most likely, neither of us will not come back. If you don't come back, sir, then I shan't. That's certain, said Sam. Don't you leave him, they said to me. Leave him. I said, never mean to. I'm going with him. If he climbs to the moon and if any of those black riders try to stop him, they'll have Sam Gamgee to reckon with, I said. Sam had promised Gandalf in this epic fiction to never leave Frodo's side. Now, Christian life is not 
fiction, but it is as much an epic story. Ours is the one in which we cannot make it on our own as well. But we don't have to. We don't have to be alone. And this passage tells us why. Jesus gives himself to us through the Holy Spirit so that we might not falter, but love him and keep his commandments. Let me say that again. Jesus gives himself to us through the Holy Spirit so that we might not falter, but love him and keep his commandments. Jesus' promise in this passage is to give his spirit, which brings many blessings to those who believe, but tragic consequences to those who do not. Jesus' promise is to give you his spirit. Bringing many blessings to those who believe, but tragic consequences to those who do not. Four points this morning, but first, the disciples are troubled. They're deeply troubled because Jesus is going away. In verse 27, Jesus says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now, that is very much the same as he said just a little bit earlier as we read last week in chapter 14, this, four, this 14 in verse 1, where he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And here he tells them, I'm going away. And it is understandable the more he speaks in this farewell address to them, the more they come to understand that his leaving is permanent. He's not coming back as they understand it. They are getting a clearer picture that Jesus is about to die and that they know this death is, in their understanding, their natural understanding, death is permanent. Jesus makes this comment at the very end where he says that, that, and now I have told you in verse 29, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. He's talking about both his death and his resurrection, that they will believe when they see him again. But, but they're just consumed with this idea that he is going away. Jesus is not just their leader. He is their friend. He is their shepherd. He is their sovereign Lord who deeply loves them and cares for their souls. And he is addressing their deepest fears with words of hope and faith. 
number of years ago, I had a friend who was dying and he knew he did not have much time, but he was cognizant. He was able to talk. And so one by one, he called each of his children into the room to speak with them one last time to encourage them, to instill in them as a Christian father hope that this was God's perfect plan, hope that they would be okay, hope that they would not be left alone, for them to persevere and hang on with God, to not grow bitter or fearful that dad is gone. What an amazing father to be able to do that in those last moments. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And he gives them hope specifically in three ways. And he warns them in a fourth way. The first way he gives them hope is that he tells them through the Spirit, through his Spirit, through the Spirit, Jesus himself will make his home in them. In verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's asking them, he's asking the Father to give them the, the Greek would be paraclete. Some translations will say comforter. This says helper. But the idea is much more significant than comforter or helper. The idea is another helper. Jesus is saying, someone just like me. It is myself in the person of the Spirit. I will ask the Father. I will intercede for you. I will be praying for you. As uh, as the, the person of the Spirit, the same type. So God the Son is leaving, but God... The Spirit is coming. It is me, Jesus is saying, in the person of the Holy Spirit who will remain with you. Leave them, Jesus says. Never. What an amazing verse on the Trinity in verse 16, God the Son will ask God the Father to send God the Spirit that we might not falter, but love Him and keep His commandments. Jesus says that the Spirit will dwell in them and make their home in them. He will dwell in us and he will make his home in us. We will be in him and he will be in us. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. It is a statement that opens up this wonderful idea 
that God is our Father. Jesus is communicating this wonderful idea. Look at verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And if I am in you, you are in the Father. You are in the Father. This giving of the Spirit isn't just Jesus coming alongside, but it's you in the Father. You being connected to God as your Father. This is such an important truth, this idea of God's fatherhood in our lives, in John's gospel and John's epistle, his letter. 1 John 1, 3, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. 3, 1 in 1 John, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Jesus makes a profound and power, powerful promise to cement this idea in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I, I can imagine the disciples. I want to put myself in their shoes. I want to be sitting with them as Jesus is talking to them and talking about leaving. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I can imagine the feeling they're getting. They have been with Jesus for three years He has provided for them. He has cared for them. He has protected them. He has encouraged them. They are friends. But more than friends, they're getting the idea that He is deity. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And now He's going. And He's not ruling as they had anticipated. He's not the Messiah that all Israel had hoped for. He's a different kind of Messiah. He's the Messiah who dies on a cross for the sins of the world. He's a Messiah that takes care of the evil one. He's not the Messiah that conquers Rome. And all of their hopes and all of their dreams seem to be ending at this moment. And they are feeling like orphans. And that's why Jesus makes this comment. And I'm sure everyone in this room, every person in this room, myself included, has moments where we can feel abandoned. Where we can feel like God has orphaned us for some reason. Whether it's this significant suffering that we're going through physically. It's the financial dealings that we're having where we're wondering where the, where the next dollar is going to come from. It's where the opposition that we face, where we just seem to have no strength to endure. We just wonder, where is God? We feel abandoned. We're not immune to feeling like orphans, like these disciples especially when it seems as though God is silent. And it's in these moments when our stamina is 
faltering in keeping his word, in loving him, wavers. He says this, I've given you another. You are not orphans. I am your father. One God, three persons, each fully God will come to you and make their home in you. What an amazing truth. God will make his home in us. Now, you know, we all grew up in different kinds of homes. Some grew up in really great homes, some not so great. Maybe some of you even grew up in pretty horrific circumstances at home. Every family in history, every family has been tainted by sin and the brokenness of this world. But not this family. Not God's family. Not our Father in heaven. Not our brother in Christ. Not our helper in the Spirit. That is God's family. Romans tells us that, and Paul writes, we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This is an eternal family that we are making our way towards. We are not, we're not there just yet. You got to die to get there. But we are making our way there. Some of us are closer than others. But we are making our way there. We are making our way to this eternal family. Until then, we have this helper who lives with us, who dwells in us. We also have the church, which expresses the family of God. Simply put, you are not alone. Don't believe that lie. You are not alone. Believe the promise here that Jesus has made a home with you by his spirit. Through his spirit, Jesus has made his home in you. Secondly, through his spirit, Jesus will keep speaking to you. Remember, Jesus is giving himself to us through the Holy Spirit so that we might not falter but love him and keep his commandments. And so he is going to keep on speaking to you. Look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So Jesus was always speaking to his disciples. But then he goes on to say, look, I know I'm going away. I know I'm not going to be here. In fact, if you go over to um, at the end of this 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 uh, section of scripture, Jesus says that I won't be speaking to you much. He's talking about in the physical, that his time to converse with them, to talk with them face to face is coming to a close. But in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. You can't, you can't be taught without somebody speaking. 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Remember this, God, the Holy Spirit, is a person. And a person speaks. Jesus promises them that not only will he come alongside of them, not only will he send a helper, he'll reveal truth to us. He'll reveal truth to us as we read his word. He will reveal the many things that Jesus has spoken to his disciples. He will help them to understand. Now, do you remember throughout John's gospel, Jesus would do something or Jesus would say something. And then John would have this commentary. The disciples did not understand. Do you remember that? Or they did not remember what Jesus had done. In, in John 2, Jesus had just cleansed the temple. And he says this, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. They didn't understand what he was doing at that time. And in twelve sixteen, again, the same thing. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things. How did they remember these things? Where did that come from? Well, right here, the helper, another had come and was going to teach them and help them remember all that Jesus had said. Oh, how often I have in my early Christian days misused that verse, especially at test-taking time in college. He is going to bring all things to my remembrance. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> But the Spirit brought all things back to the disciples' remembrance. It's a special task reserved for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to truth. It's a special task to open our eyes to the truth we find in Scripture. It is this verse that should give you great confidence that when you open up your Bible to read it in your devotional time or even on a Sunday morning or wherever, that when you open up your Bible right here, He will bring all things to your remembrance. He will teach you all things because He is another helper. It is Jesus who has given us His Holy Spirit so that we might not falter, but love him and keep his commandments. When you read your Bible, let this verse echo in the background. God is speaking. He's not silent. And it's because he's your father and he loves you. And he sent his son. And now at his son's request, he has sent his spirit. And you are not orphans. Skip Ryan said this. Speaking of the spirit. His job is to remind us of the best that has ever been spoken. God's own words. It is not just Jesus' own words, but the whole of Scripture. He teaches us in all of it. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth who helps us understand the meaning of what we read or hear. 
He gives us Jesus himself, the infallible interpreter of his own words. This is an amazing promise. Through his spirit, Jesus makes his home in us. Through his spirit, Jesus keeps speaking to us. And thirdly, through his spirit, Jesus will change us. He will change us. Jesus gives himself to us through his Holy Spirit so we will not falter. That we might love him and keep his commandments. It's the keeping of his commandments. It's the loving of Christ that changes us. That sanctifies us. That causes us to grow. To become more like Christ. You cannot disconnect verse 16 from verse 15. Verse 15. If you love me. If you love me. You will keep my commandments. And. That's a huge transition right there. And I will give. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Here's the challenge. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. How are you going to do it? Our best efforts at obedience continually fall short of God's holy standards. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, his priority is to make us holy. Hence, the Holy Spirit. His work is to change us so that we grow. And we grow in our love for Jesus. We grow in our love for the Father. We grow in our love for the Spirit. One God Three persons, each fully God. So when we talk about the Spirit, we talk about the Son, we talk about the Father. We're not talking about three gods. We're talking about one God, the Trinity. And He's come to help us keep our commitments to His commandments. And to grow in our love for Him. Jesus describes the one who loves him as the one who keeps his commandments. But it is important, and, and don't, don't miss this, it is important to realize that obedience to his commands is an attribute of a genuine follower and not a precondition to become a genuine follower. It's an attribute of a genuine follower, not a condition to become a follower of Christ. He doesn't say here, if you keep my commandments, if you do the right thing, then God will love you and send his spirit to you. That's not what he's saying. We already know we can't keep these conditions. We already know we falter at times. We know that there are times we don't love him. There are times where his commandments seem unattainable to us. But he's clinging to us as we sung this morning. As we cling to him. Verse 15 would be better understood this way. If you keep my commandments, it demonstrates a heart change so great that you are beginning to love the Lord more than anything. If you keep my commandments, it demonstrates a heart change so great 
that you are beginning to love the Lord more than anything. Jesus' followers will love him. And they will keep his commands. And he will send the paraclete, the spirit, to come alongside and enable us to love him more and to want more to keep his commands. That's the work of the spirit. Through his spirit, Jesus makes his home in us. Through his spirit, he keeps speaking to us. Through his spirit, he changes us. But there are consequences to not believing. Those who do not believe in Jesus neither love him nor keep his commandments. That's the flip side of verse 15. As he says farewell, Jesus soberly and wisely describes the many consequences of not loving him, of not keeping his commandments. He speaks of the world. Now, when he speaks of the world, he speaks of those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ. So if you at times struggle with keeping his commands, if at times you struggle with loving him, but you have put your faith and trust in him, the reality is that's why the Holy Spirit has come, so that you won't falter, that you can grow in these things. But if you've not put your trust in him, if you do not believe in Christ, if you have not come to the place where you have accepted what he has done on the cross and seen your need for a savior. This is who Jesus is speaking about. And he gives numerous warnings. In verse 17, he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world cannot see him. They don't see him for who he is. Jesus spent, as we've read in John, he has been among crowds, hundreds of thousands during festivals in Jerusalem, and many turned away. They did not see him for who he is. Remember in John 1.12, he tells us that as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, these are not children of God. And they do not see him. In verse 18, it also means that it, they are orphans. They are not God's children. Verse 19, they will not see Jesus. And it appears that, at least as I read this, that very possibly their moment of salvation has passed. And they will suffer the consequences of their unbelief. Verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. The world fights for peace in a variety of different ways. It, it, 
it chases after peace through being financially independent. It chases after peace through relationships. It chases after peace through being famous. It chases after peace in a variety of different ways. And they all come crashing down. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. The peace that Jesus leaves with us will not be left with those who do not believe. Now, what a promise of security that is for us and the hope that we have as Christians, that we have Jesus's peace. That's the legacy that Jesus leaves behind for you. The legacy of peace. Listen, already in this farewell address, Already in this farewell, he's, he's promised to prepare a room for them in his father's house. He's promised to come back and get them. He's promised to give them whatever they ask in his name. He's promised to send another helper, the Holy Spirit. He's promised not to leave them as orphans. He's promised that if the world rejects him, he won't. He's promised that he will make his home in them. He's promised to teach them all things. And now he promises, I'm leaving my peace with you. Now, this peace isn't the kind of peace the world gives, but it's the peace that comes through being cleansed and being forgiven and being justified and reconciled to God, to being adopted and sanctified by the Father through the Spirit because of his death on the cross for our sins. That's the peace. It's also a peace that guards our troubled and fearful hearts. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. J.C. Ryle says this. Peace is Christ's peculiar gift. Not money. Not worldly ease. Not temporal prosperity. These are at best very questionable possessions. They often do more harm than good to the soul. They act as clogs and weights to our spiritual life. Inward peace of conscience arising from a sense of pardon, sin, and reconciliation with God is a far greater blessing. This peace is the property of all believers, whether high or low, rich or poor. The peace which Christ gives He calls my peace. It is specially to his own to give because he bought it by his own blood and purchased it by his own substitution and appointed it by the Father to dispense it to a perishing world. Oh, brothers and sisters, the consequence to not knowing Christ is to not know peace. Oh, but the blessing of having peace this Holy Spirit come so that you will not falter, but you will grow in your love for him and you will grow in keeping his commands. He says to you, it is my peace I give you. My peace. Because you are in the Father as you are in me. Because you are not orphans, but you are my children. It is my peace. But none of this is possible unless Jesus fulfills 
what he came to do. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. And he's talking about his resurrection there, his resurrection appearances. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He's just a few hours away from a crowd of angry men arresting him in a garden, flogging him, beating him, mocking him, ridiculing him. He's just a few hours away from the ruler of this world having his way because God has allowed it. Although he has no claim on Jesus. But Jesus says in verse 31, knowing all this is about to happen, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. This is the ultimate in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is loving the Father and doing what the Father commanded so that you would be forgiven and reconciled, cleansed, adopted, sanctified, so that Jesus, after he has done all that the Father commanded, would rise from the dead, appear to the disciples, ascend to heaven, and send his Spirit to you. Is that not amazing? Is that not a wonderful God we serve? To say to you, you will not be orphans. You are not alone. You have my peace. All because I, the creator of the universe, the living God, the judge of all the earth, have made my home in you. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending you. Thank you for sending your spirit that we may not falter, but may grow in our love for you and keep your commands. Lord, may this truth dwell in us. May your spirit bring to our remembrance this truth and continue to teach us this truth that we may be the disciples that the world sees and they see our love for you and you are glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.